Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Today, but we do have a special guest. We are joined by Grant Afseth, who covered the Pacers for quite a few years, now covers the Dallas Mavericks. We'll be touching on the recent Pacers and Mavericks game, as well as just kind of the landscape of the NBA, what this rebuilding process has been like for the Pacers compared to the Dallas Mavericks, who are pushing their chips, you know, all in, making the trade for Kyrie Irving, seeing a taking a swing on a player that is set to hit free agency, something that the Pacers were very reluctant to do. And much more, but you know, I don't want to spoil that for you. But touching on more serious note, uh, the passing of David Benner. Uh, David spent nearly 30 years as director of media relations for the Indiana Pacers, passed away on Wednesday of this week. Uh, just my condolences goes out to his family. This this man was an absolute legend. Uh, became a, started with Indianapolis Star as a part-time sports writer in 1979. I mean, this man was Indiana sports. He had spent time covering the Pacers, Notre Dame football, Indiana University. I mean, just across the board. But he had been covering the Pacers with the Pacers in specific for 28 years. I had I was fortunate enough to have one interaction with David, and it was him helping me out to land T.J. McConnell on setting the pace in his final season. David did not have to help me out. David had no idea who I even was, but just out of the kindness of his heart, was able to coordinate that interview. And for that, that's something that I always look fondly on. I I was just looking at the email yesterday and uh, just seeing how quickly he got back to me. Him being able to help Alex and I out definitely says a lot about him in just one quick instance. But an absolute legend. My condolences uh, go out to, to David and his family. Um, and then on other news, Kendall Brown, Kendall Brown. I know we wanted to see more of Kendall this season. That unfortunately will not be happening. Didn't get to cover this earlier in the week, but Kendall Brown is out for the remainder of the season. He underwent successful, um, surgery to address a right tibia stress fracture, sort of a lost season for Kendall. Unfortunately, the Pacers did trade up to acquire him at pick 48. He made. Uh, he tried to fight through the pain, which which he received in December, and then was ruled out indefinitely. 
missed six weeks, ended up returning for 10 more appearances. Uh, For the G League, he ended up averaging 10.3 points, five rebounds per game, two assists, 1.4 steals on about 51% shooting from the field in 16 games with Fort Wayne. Um, We wanted to see more. We definitely wanted to see more. And all in all, he made six appearances for the Pacers, totaling nine points, six rebounds, four steals, three assists. Look, it's nothing to get excited about, but I I love his length. I, I feel like this is someone who we knew was very raw, we knew he was a, f- a five-star recruit coming out of Baylor, but knew playing time was going to be a bit hard for him to, to come by. And that's kind of where we hoped at the end of the season that Kendall would be able to, you know, really just get some good run out there. Fortunately, that's not the case. He's been on a two-way contract all season. Who knows what the Pacers will do with, with Kendall uh, in the offseason, but still very young, would like to see him healthy. And I think the best basketball for Kendall is in front of him rather than behind him. So I'm excited about that. But before I continue to just blabber on anymore, I just want to say this real quick. Whether you wanted wins or not, the Pacers are hot right now. They're hot. They, they've won three of four. And the one game that they didn't win, they gave Boston all they could handle when they lost 142 to 138. So we're seeing that this team is not just rolling over and, you know, and give it up. They're, they're giving it everything they got. They have another winnable game uh, later tonight. I'm recording this earlier in the day when they play San Antonio, a team that the last thing they want is a win. That's the Spurs I'm talking about. So Pacers very well may end up winning that game. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I only really picked them for about maybe six wins after the All-Star break. They might already have three of them. So who knows? I guess I sold this team a, a, a little bit low, just like I did before the season. But it's been awesome. I mean, these games have been really fun against the Dallas Mavericks, winning that one 124 to 122. Uh, a battle of the birthday boys between Halliburton and Luca. Halliburton walks away with the dub. That was awesome. Uh, but hey, guys, let me bring on Grant. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back, and we are joined by a recurring guest, Grant F. Seth. He covers the Dallas Mavericks for DallasBasketball.com. Grant, what's going on? Not much. Just, uh, you know, headed to uh, Mavericks Sixers, uh, you know, later tonight. Um, looking forward to talking about uh, Pacers Mavs for sure. Of course, of course. And for everybody who might not be aware, Grant spent quite some time covering the Pacers, uh, you know, in years past. So, he is very knowledgeable about what's going on just around the league. So not just the Dallas Mavericks, but you no, know, Grant, uh, taking it a few years back, I definitely remember you posting some pictures about, you know, watching Miles Turner practice in the past. And I would say 10 out of 10 people will tell you Turner's having a career year right now, but what has stuck out to you most this season from the Dallas native Miles Turner himself? Yeah, I think the big thing is that he's playing uh, the traditional like center role, uh, you know, like sharing the front court with uh, Demonis Sabonis, um, you know, um, with with the way Sabonis kind of handles the interior, uh, there's not gonna, naturally going to be as many opportunities for someone like Miles um, to kind of like roll to the rim, be like the the play finisher um, around the rim on you know just things that happen within the flow of the offense uh, with him spacing. But now he, uh, you know, he's been able to kind of put the things that he's worked on in the off seasons, like uh, finishing through contact, uh, working down low in the post. Um, like he, he's gotten a very like fundamentally sound, well-rounded 
like like highly efficient uh just general ability to kind of like finish those plays um and putting it all together like playing that role like against the Mavericks um you know he hit some like pick and pop uh threes he has some nice like a like a jump hook um you know uh rolled all the way to the rim and dunked it like uh he kind of showed the complete package um you know even attacking some uh switches in the post so I think uh that's just kind of what it is, is like, uh, like, you know, a lot of the development I feel like for players kind of takes, you know, multiple years and, uh, sometimes, you know, it's linear, sometimes it's not. Uh, but a lot of it, I feel like has to do with the opportunities to kind of play through mistakes and game situations. And I feel like miles has had that, uh, now throughout his whole career. And you're kind of seeing like the, the, you know, realization of kind of that, that focus. Oh, it's been awesome to see. I mean, Turner across the board, you know, his numbers are up. Maybe not blocks, but he's playing a little bit of a different role. And obviously, teams aren't going at him as much as in years past. So, you know, we could live with that. But, I mean, 18 points per game on uh, 53 – no, actually 55% shooting, 40% from three. I mean, a career-high rebounds with eight. He has just been awesome. And he's also coming off of what the NBA labeled as the most efficient 40-point game in history. I mean, look. It's just awesome to see him putting it all together. But like you mentioned, a big part of that opportunity, being the lone big, has been huge for Turner. But touching on another guy that you're very familiar with, Rick Carlisle, former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, championship coach over there. Did you ever imagine him coaching a rebuilding team at this point in his career and playing the youth as much as you know, Ben McMather and Andrew Nemhart? Because it feels like that was the knock on Carlisle in Dallas. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite for sure. Because uh, in Dallas, uh, Josh Green was drafted, I believe, 18th overall, and uh, you know he really didn't see the floor as a rookie. Um, and you know, like like you have pros and cons, or like you know things, different approaches with different coaches and all that stuff. Uh, so like in Dallas, a lot of people, you know, when you're kind of looking for the positives uh, when you switch coaches, one of the big things is definitely like, oh, finally Josh Green's getting some minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. Yeah, it's like kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of people definitely I remember writing a little bit about that, too, where it's like, why would he go to a rebuilding team? Uh, But, you know, I guess uh, um, someone who just loves the game of basketball and everything like Rick does. uh, And like I think he actually kind of does enjoy like the whole uh, development process with young guys, too, even if he doesn't always like trust them on the game floor uh, early on. But uh, so I think like. Like, uh, he's kind of getting, like, a different uh, opportunity instead of uh, coaching, like, a, an all-NBA first-team guy with, like, the super high pressure of, like, winning, like, immediately, like, every year, uh, I think is, like, kind of a, a different thing where you can kind of, like, be more patient in that development approach uh, instead of, like, oh, my gosh, we're, we're two, three, four, five years from a trade request if we don't get out the first round this year. Yep. No, I definitely hear you on that. And, you know, under Carlisle, Dallas had not been able to get out of the first round for for quite some time following that championship. So you could see, you know, that the seat might have been getting a little bit warmer. But, hey, that seat is always comfy in Indiana. His third stint there, he's clearly happy with the Pacers. And, um, you know, when you talked about maybe not coaching an all-NBA first-team guy, um, the Pacers might have two all NBA rookies in Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard. I definitely think that Nemhard will make second team Benedict Matherin a lock for all rookie first team. But when I last had you on the show back in July, you put out an article about it was it was basically based off of summer league, some rookies that had performed well. 
What have you seen from Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard since July to now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've been really impressed with both of them. I think, uh, especially in this last game, Andrew Nemhard's uh, playmaking is something that I feel like really, like, kind of enhances uh, what the Pacers have, like with Tyrese Halliburton. Like, having that ability for Tyrese to, like, have the ball uh, at the top of the offense and just, like, trust somebody else to make a, a play out of, like, a high pick and roll or or whatever, um, like, type of action you're in, I think, uh, you know, that goes a long way. Uh, so the defense can't load up on Tyrese. And then, you know, I think Benedict, uh, I, I think what's interesting about him is that he's made the most of, like, kind of like that initial role uh, as, like, a NBA player. Uh, like, he's attacking uh, in those, like, off-ball actions. He's aggressive getting to the rim. And, uh, you know, I think he's continuing to kind of expand his game. Um, and that's something I'll, I'll kind of, like, watch, um, you know, next season especially. Like, before the game, I noticed he was working with like the, you know, the on-court, uh, you know, assistant coach uh, in the workouts. And he was working on like, you know, playing through contact, creating a step back uh, and, and, you know, knocking the shot down. Uh, like things like that are things that I'll be very intrigued to kind of see as he kind of uh, develops um, year by year. Um, and if those kind of things, uh, you know, really start to, uh, you know, become parts of his game on a consistent basis, um, and building on his role, and he becomes more of like the the initiator at times. I think that uh, will become very interesting. Oh, cannot wait for those days. I mean, everybody knows Matherin can score. Fantastic job getting in the free throw line. Something that Pacer fans have been you know just banging at the table for for years. But we we can't wait until he does add more things to his game, becoming a better defender, becoming a better distributor, becoming a better rebounder across the board. He's just scratching the surface. But you know, touching on a little bit that you mentioned. You know, Pacers in Dallas, they just played recently. This was a thriller. This was the Pacers won this game 124 to 122. This is a game that Pacer fans really didn't chalk up as a as a W uh, before, but we walked out with one. But it, what was interesting was this is a game of the birthday boys. Tyrese Halliburton and Luka Doncic both celebrating birthdays. I thought that was, that was fun. Uh, but what did you see from the Pacers that maybe had you be like, okay, you know what? I know they're rebuilding, but this might not take as long as some other rebuilds. I think when you start seeing guys like, uh, you know, like midseason pickups, like Jordan Nuora, mm -hmm. uh, like he had a step back uh, three, breaking down Maxi Kleba uh, in the corner. Um, and then he also, I, th I think he was the player that received the handoff from Buddy Hill on offensive rebound and knocked down another corner three. Mm -hmm. Like stuff like that is like, okay. Like I know Tyrese Halliburton is really good uh, and effective, um, I know, uh, you know, Benedict Mather is going to continue to develop. I know, you know, like, I know Andrew Nemhard's a draft steal, all that stuff. But when you start getting other guys like that to really start showing the progress, and especially with Miles Turner in a career year, like all those pieces, uh, you're like, okay, what can they use the cap space for? They have all these extra picks, uh, you know, in the, you know, coming draft. What 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 could that look like? Uh, you know, it's, it's very uh, intriguing uh, possibilities, in my opinion, for sure. And that's a good thing to piggyback off of because the Pacers are slated to have four picks in the top 31. I don't care which team you are. That feels like too many. And, and, and in a certain instance, you could say, could that ever be too many draft picks? But where this Pacers team is at, I just feel like uh, thir you know, four picks to add to this young core. I don't know if there's going to be enough room for it. But on the flip side, 
a team like Dallas, you could see maybe they're they're looking to win now. They're not valuing picks as much. They traded two first-round picks for Christoph Porzingis in the past. You now traded a future first-round pick for Kyrie Irving. Do you, What do you think the Pacers should do with these draft picks? Do you consolidate? Do you look to move them for a more established player? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, with the, with the team uh, typically wanting to be, uh, you know, competitive, I think it would make a lot of sense to kind of wait for the next, like, available players, like kind of what Cleveland did with Donovan Mitchell. Love it. Um, like, I maybe agree. not, like, do that right away. Um, but, you know, like, in the next, like, in the coming, like, few years, definitely would be something that I would look to to pursue. Um, but I also think, like, even if something opportunistic kind of just pops up, like OG Ananobi, um, things like that, like, I may not be, like, an all-NBA player, uh, but some of that really, like, kind of upgrades a key part of your team, like 30-plus minutes per game, that goes a long way. Um, and, it's, you know, Tyrese uh, Halbert will continue to get better. Mather will continue to get better. Um, and then all these, like, ancillary pieces um, that are young that you kind of bring in with those picks will only get better as well. Yes. Um, so I think, like, it's definitely, uh, you know, you can go all in uh, uh, as kind of Tyrese, uh, you know, continues to, to develop. Um, and, you know, as he has this season. And I think it could be a very, very uh, you know, interesting, um, you know, kind of way of building the team, like how Cleveland did. Uh, I know you're not going to have as many, like, top picks, I was maybe. Uh, like, this year, the standings, uh, you're probably not going to be, like, the, you know, the, a bottom dweller uh, to necessarily get, like, one of those, like, like really, really, really high-level prospects, perhaps. Unless, like, I don't know how the rest of the season is going to play out, but, uh, at least having those extra picks gives you that extra like push in the the trade scenarios. Yeah, I would say that the Pacers might finish the regular season with the fifth or sixth worst record. So you, you get a feel last year, the Pacers had the fifth worst record. They ended up falling back to six. So I'm not expecting to move up, you know, really at all, but, but you really never know. So let's just say the Pacers slated at probably a pick around five or six. But then the other picks are looking at basically about 26, 30, and 31. So in my opinion, those are more swing for the fences types of like, hey, look, I, I don't know what you're going to do over here. But the, those are the picks that I would rather consolidate and move up. Maybe the Pacers are looking at the sixth overall pick on like 14th, for instance, something back end of the lottery. I think that would be successful. But I do think they put themselves in position to be players if there is a Donovan Mitchell type player available, we did hear at the deadline the Pacers were offering about three first round picks, believed for OG. And I know that deal did not materialize. And I think at this point, it might have been a blessing because I don't think the Pacers are ready to win this year. OG only has one more year left on his contract. But speaking about a team that did make a big swing, your Dallas Mavericks. Look, the Mavericks made the move for Kyrie. Um, Dorian Finney Smith. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, it was a 2029 first round pick, right? Yeah, that's correct. And then like a couple seconds. Yes, exactly. For Kyrie, so far, and it's early and it takes time. I believe the Mavs are one and four with Kyrie and Luca in the lineup. But and here's the thing: Kyrie slated to hit free agency after this season. What's your thoughts on that deal? Yeah, I think the deal itself. Um, I think it was a very like you know like good opportunity to take advantage of um, because they definitely did need a co-star. Um, the way they were kind of operating before, um, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie in the backcourt, uh, and no like 
legit dynamic threat like they had with Jalen Brunson. You don't really have too much of a ceiling, uh, like come playoff time. I feel like, um, especially with the Western Conference, like teams like Denver getting healthier and all that. Um, so I think it, like, you know, that was the right move to make, but, um, it's it's definitely challenging to navigate that midseason because uh, you know you move Dorian Finney-Smith, the defense already was struggling and it's you know now it's really struggling uh, without him because uh, he you know often guarded like you know top players he was really important doing little things like making low man rotations all that stuff and the communicator on the back line like that stuff's really uh, what they're like they're really missing that right now and it's not really a, a feasible thing to replace during the year. Um, so I guess in a sense, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that part of it. Cause I do think the actual fit with Kyrie and Luca as like individuals, I, I definitely think that's working and they're putting up a lot of points. They're just not really getting stops. And, uh, I, I think that hole that they have, uh, <laughs> at the four is definitely, uh, going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Cause, uh, Maxi Kleba just came back. Um, that's a big piece, um, but I don't know really how the lineups are going to be uh, chosen. Um, they've been playing with one center a lot, and in reality, I feel like they're too small. Like something that uh, you know you probably saw against like the Pacers, um, their three through five is tiny. Like Justin Holiday, uh, you know, starting at the three, he's like 180 pounds mm-hmm. listed on like oh, been there. Really- yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you have uh, the four spot, Reggie Bullock's about 200 pounds. Um, and Dorian Finney-Smith's like 220 pounds. So you go from like a more stout, uh, you know, stronger guy at the four to like you're you're basically too small with three through five and you need to cover up, um, you know, your superstars. Like I don't really feel like that's that current lineup that they are using last night, like that setup's not going to work. I'll be interested to see if they play Christian Wood at the five more because he's like the closest thing that resembles a shot blocker that they have. And then uh, Kleba next to him at the four, because that was a combination that worked really well earlier in the year. But uh, I, I, that's the thing. It's like, you can project like kind of uh, if the, if they did this, like I think they should, they could do this or, but you don't really know what they're going to do. Uh, so it's kind of, it'll be something to monitor for sure. No, it, it definitely will. But I do respect the trade for the Mavericks because I felt like in the off season, they didn't get Luca enough help. Now, obviously, getting Kyrie is is a, a huge pickup. Remains to be seen if he does resign or if that pick even ends up materializing to be anything worthwhile basically six years from now. So we'll have to wait and see. But a team that you did mention, the Denver Nuggets. You know, the Nuggets, they, they sit atop the West right now. Jokic is having uh, a great year. I mean, you could make a solid argument he's having an even better year than when he won Two straight MVPs, but there's also the Grizzlies, the Kings. I mean, the, the the Suns landed Kevin Durant. Who do you view as the team to come out of the West right now? Yeah, that's uh that's going to be an interesting thing to see. I think uh, I do really like Denver. I think um, you know them adding Aaron Gordon, him having continuity, like like since they've added him, and then Michael Porter Jr. getting back in a lineup and Jamal Murray. They're they're really tough. Like I. Like, their home court advantage is crazy, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they've lost, like, I don't know if it's changed that much since since the All-Star break. I highly I highly doubt it with how yeah. good they are. But uh, I think they've lost, like, four games at home this year. Like, 
Like I, I actually went out when the Mavericks played there before, right before the All Star break. It's it's tough. Uh, <laughs> like, um, you're right. Twenty eight and four at home. I mean, that is, you know, that's yeah, the best I, record at home in the league. Yeah, if you're facing them as the you know the lesser seated opponent, that's tough. Like the way Jokic kind of involves everybody throughout the game, and like kind of saves himself if he if he does need to kind of like take over. But now having Jamal Murray to kind of actually you know like really score a high volume. That it's just tough. Like something that um, I, I find kind of you know interesting with matchups with a lot of teams. It's like I don't know. Like like it's different when you're like kind of up close in person to see how big these guys are and how athletic they are. Like Michael Porter Jr. is massive for, oh, yeah, for he is. Mm-hmm. like he just like sliced through uh, Dwight Powell rotating over and help at the game that I was at, and I'm like, man, he's almost as big as Dwight Powell, and he's the five. Like yep. that type of stuff really pops. It's crazy. No, it's true. But then there are other teams like the Memphis Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings, teams that haven't quite been there yet. I know the Grizzlies made the playoffs last year, gave Golden State a really good series. But like, are those teams that you're still having a little bit of tough time buying into? Or is it more like, hey, you know what? Hey, they, they could be coming because those are two teams that while the Grizzlies are the second seed and the Kings are the third, if they were actually in the East they're actually the fifth and the sixth seed. So what's your thoughts on those teams? Yeah, I think it's definitely, as you said, I, I would like to see them face different types of matchups. Um, like, especially, uh, you know, with them having, like, traditional bigs, uh, there's some teams that really can manage to, uh, like, kind of either play those guys off the floor. But, you know, I, I think Sabonis is too good for that. Um, you know, Memphis, I don't think necessarily has that luxury because um, I think Steven Adams can be played off the floor. Mm, uh, but then again, their problem is that they've struggled uh, without him. So that's a really red, big red flag to me. Is it's like you might have to like actually succeed without him, and you're already struggling in the regular season. Like, do you even have the personnel to necessarily make that happen? I think uh, that's kind of why I like teams like Phoenix overall. I feel like they're very hard. Uh, to get matchups against, like it's not really like a like a genius thought when you're you know you're oh, talking course, about Kevin yeah. Durant, <laughs> uh, and they uh, they have different options they can kind of throw out. Like I think KD can even slide down, uh, you know he like four or five if mm-hmm. you really want to, um, like that type of stuff makes them really uh, interesting. I feel like and have a higher ceiling than like those Kings and the the Grizzlies types teams. Yeah, I think for the Kings, they're a team that's overachieved and them making the playoffs regardless is a very successful year but i don't think anyone's expecting oh this could be like uh this team could go to the conference finals i think that would blow everybody's mind so yeah, it'd be like one of those things where you'd probably like need matchups and then maybe it, it like definitely some injury in the second round or something or mm-hmm. you know something along those lines no i i could definitely see that but you know going back to your maps i mean uh the Mavs are now a team that they, they've been hot at times, a little bit cold at other times. Right now, currently the seventh seed. What's your thoughts on the play-in or play-in tournament games? Uh, have you been a fan of it? And do you really think it prevents tanking at all? Yeah, I do think it uh, it does prevent some tanking, I feel like, because uh, I think there are less sellers at the trade deadline uh, year in and year out. But then again, I do think uh, – I think it kind of delays tanking, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think some teams kind of like, okay, we still have hope. But then once they don't have hope, a lot of veterans start having these <laughs> having these weird, like, mm-hmm. three weeks ends my season type injuries uh, for sure. So I think uh, 
I don't know. I don't know if I'm like the biggest fan of it. Um, because there are some teams that get in there and compete for it that I, I just I just don't I'm not really a big fan of. Like I, if I remember correctly, didn't the Clippers lose in the play in last year? Uh, uh yeah. So the Clippers were they were in the play in. Um yeah, didn't they? Was it the map? Was it the Mavs? I no, the Mavs weren't in the play in. They were the they were one of the, I think they were in the four or five uh series last year. Yeah. But I think they might have lost. Was it to New Orleans? Um, it was New Orleans. New Orleans ended up getting the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think Paul George wasn't even able to play. Um, if I remember, it was, yeah, it was no Paul George, no Kawhi. It was like this like shell of like a team, and it was just yeah, because uh, they had like COVID protocol stuff and injuries. And I don't know. I feel like it's kind of lame when a team like that who doesn't have like one of their stars available, like. I feel like it's kind of lame if they just get like bounced uh, yeah. and they don't even have that real shot. Like that, that's kind of my thing with the plan. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like if you're, if you're 10th in the conference, I don't know if, if you really deserve the chance to make the playoffs. That, like, that's just like 15 teams, you're 10th. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not too, too big of a fan of it. I think it's interesting uh, in the moment when you kind of take the context out of it, like, okay, this team's, you know, their season's done after this game. Like that's kind of cool, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of pros and cons. It's definitely delaying the inevitable. I feel like there was teams like Toronto that at the deadline could have been sellers, looked at maybe the play and as like, hey, you know what? Maybe we could, if we keep everybody together, maybe we can make a little bit of noise. They ended up trading for Jakob Hurdle, which I thought was interesting because he's going to be a free agent. Um, but then there, at the flip side, there's teams like the Bulls that are just kind of like, what are you doing over there? I mean, they had an opportunity to be sellers, but they're, they're sticking in the 11th spot. The Washington Wizards at, at 10, they stand no chance of beating anyone in a play-in series. And if they did, I mean, they would be absolutely sacrificed to the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round. It, it would be pretty vicious. But I, I do think it's been fun to keep some fan bases in it a little bit longer than maybe in the past, where some teams might have given up around December, January. I think now you're starting to see teams like, hey, like the Pacers. The Pacers are two games out of the play-in. It's not what fans want, but you can't say that we're dead in the water by any means. But as we wrap up, I mean, what's kind of, we talked about maybe who have been some of the better teams, but like who's been maybe just a fun team for you to watch outside of the Dallas Mavericks? You know, honestly, um, until they kind of started struggling, I I would say the Pacers were very fun to watch. I like to hear Uh, that. that. Yeah, that was one of the teams that I enjoyed watching for sure. Um, you know, I kind of like watching, um, some of those, uh, like rebuilding type teams that have like, um, at least some veteran talent. I feel like some, like the Houston Rockets are really tough watch, like teams like that. Like, yeah, like I'm not a fan of that, but, uh, it's kind of interesting to see like, you know, different players, uh, get better throughout the year. Um, and then, uh, like kind of see like different confidence levels and all that stuff. And I feel like that's like the Pacers. Um, and I always like, uh, like Rick Carlisle's coaching. Um, so it's very interesting for me to kind of see him in that, uh, um, you know, younger team, um, like he's been really good with, the you know, like different point guards, some high level, like point guard minds and all. And I've always been a big fan of Tyrese Halliburton's game. So like that, that's pretty cool dynamic to be able to see, um, you know, in itself for sure. Yeah. You know, touching on Halliburton real quick. I mean, this guy, this trade bringing in, I have Sabonis, Hey, he was our all-star. it's not even close. Look, bringing in Tyrese Halliburton changed the whole franchise. We went from having, yeah, we got an all-star to now, like we have someone that can make others into an all-star. It was great to see him make the all-star game, 
But I mean, what are your feelings in terms of like by adding Tyrese to this team as it relates to a rebuild? I mean, does it make you feel like he could change the trajectory of this Pacers team for years to come? I definitely think so. It's very hard to find like those elite like playmakers that can also score and like he's got good size for his position too. So like I think he checks a ton of boxes and he's only going to get better as well. Um, I think uh, when you ha- when you have that like kind of bigger guard too. Um, I, I like that a lot because uh, once you start to add like more talent, maybe on the wings or develop more talent on the wings, um, like you can do a lot of switching and then you have Miles Turner on the, you know, anchoring the five like that, that to me sounds like a very like good, uh, just fundamental, like, uh, like just like foundation or whatever you want to call it uh, for what you're, what you're building. And I'm just going to be very uh, interested to see, um, you know, like, if he gets another like dynamic uh, like secondary option, uh, what what would that look like? You know, it could be Matherin as he develops, could be someone else, who knows? But yeah, like stuff like that. I think uh, he, he he's so like good at reading the game uh, and like you know taking advantage of every little like like split second of the defense, like like advancing the ball, all that stuff. Like um, I, I just don't think you can really get that type of skill out of a lot of players, and that elevates your team a lot. You just simply can't. I mean, we had Andrew Nimhard on for the second time this season. Uh, this was know, a couple weeks ago, and we talked about his game winner against the Lakers earlier, and I asked him, I said, what was more impressive, your shot or Halliburton's pass? He said the pass because – the way Halliburton whips it around in, in like under a second to find a wide open Nemhard as LeBron's crashing down on defense, it just shows that the way he thinks, A, you, you can't teach that. And the way that he passes is just, he's a true pass first point guard who's also given you 20 a night uh, scoring wise. So very special player. I think that even though the Pacers are having a down year, but we knew what expectations were. We're having a blast watching this team as they continue to grow games like against the Dallas Mavericks or, you know, coming up just short against Boston, even though we did beat Boston earlier this year shows like, Hey, this team on any night feels like they could hang with some of the best in the league. So that's been fun. But Grant, as we wrap up, please tell everybody where they could find you out on social media and some of the awesome content you're putting out. Yeah. Thanks. My uh, Twitter is mostly where I'm at, um, at Grant, A F S E T H. Um, and then my writing is on uh, mostly DallasBasketball.com. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, for the Pacers, I hope the ping pong balls uh, bounce, bounce in your guys' favor for sure. Definitely appreciate that. Hey, Grant, as always, thanks for coming on. We'll have to do this again sometime. And best of luck rest of the season, especially in the playoffs. Look, if only one of us are going to the playoffs, hey, get the job done. For sure. I'm, I'm very excited for it. Hopefully it's uh, it's longer uh, than it is shorter, for sure. That's what she said. <laughs> All right. Shout out to Grant making second or third appearance on Setting the Pace, at least second this season. We spoke last with him in July. Always appreciate his, his coverage. He's got great content uh, on Twitter, so definitely give him a follow. But Guys, it, it's been awesome uh, this week. It's been a fun week having Caitlin Cooper on the show Aaron, and uh, Aaron Neesmith on the show as well. well. We ain't done yet. We still got some more guests for you. But if you want to know where you can find us at on social media, you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. 
You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe, give us a thumbs up, whatever you can do to help us out. We definitely appreciate that. And then at the end of the day, if you are excited to see guys like Jordan Nawara continue to develop and give everything we got, I mean, what a steal over there. Then you got to hit me with these three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. That's what she said. <laughs>